sins away. Oh, say much I'm glad. From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in the heart of Tennessee, with Tennessee and the world at heart, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. I'm delighted to welcome you today. It's Friday. We've got a great weekend just ahead and looking forward, of course, to the Lord's Day. And I trust that you will find your way to church come Sunday. Be sure to be in the Lord's house Sunday morning and Sunday night and get in on what is available to you in a good, solid, fundamental Bible-believing church near you. Well, we're looking forward today to the remainder of this message that I started yesterday. This is a preaching message that I did in a conference a few months ago, and it's entitled Preaching to the Choir. And that simply means that sometimes we need to talk to the people of God about the things of God. And so we're talking about that in a real good message that I think will be a help and a blessing to you. And thank you for letting me plug these in once in a while to accommodate my travel schedule. Here is the message entitled Preaching to the Choir. Elijah said, As the Lord God of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto Ahab today. He said, I'm going to have a meeting with the ruler. And uh, as he made arrangements for that meeting with Ahab, he was immediately accused and indicted. Verse 17, Ahab said, Are you the one that's been troubling Israel? You know, anytime the preacher does his job, somebody's going to come up with that. Somebody's going to say, oh, our church was such a nice place before you got here. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? But Elijah, unintimidated, he stood up to the wicked ruler and he said, no, it is not me. It is not me. I'm not, I, I'm not, the, I'm not the problem, but you, sir, are the problem. Elijah stood his ground and then very clearly voiced his message when he said, if the Lord be God, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And this crowd, this crowd, these people, the people of God, they were stunned by all of that and they were silent because the Bible says the people answered not a word. Oh, they had built a wall and they had done a lot of things already, but they were not on track where they needed to be. And when confronted with the choice of what are they going to do? Are they going to hobnob with the culture or are they going to run with God? They were stunned to silence. And a little bit later in the chapter, it came to pass that uh, after the fire had fallen and the altar had been consumed, and you know that part of the story. But the people then pitched in, and they responded well. I asked the question here in the midst of the great Mount Carmel revival, what's the matter with Elijah? Hasn't he heard about the separation of church and state? I mean, doesn't he know that the preacher can't preach politics? Why doesn't he just offer to lead an opening prayer and then walk away? Doesn't he know that he's outnumbered 850 to one among the clergy? Doesn't he know that he's an unpopular person with the ecumenical council of the city? I mean, what's the matter with Elijah? I mean, why is he going to such extremes, piling the wood on the altar and having them douse it with water and douse it with water and douse it with water? 
What, what, what's the deal here? Going to such extremes. What's the matter with him? Can't he get along with anybody? And they pray such ridiculous prayers. He's going to call down fire from heaven. Well, they stopped laughing and mocking when the fire fell. Verse 38. And then the people got right. I'm telling you, it's revival. And as I pondered this great matter, why, why are we preaching to the choir? Why, why are we having meetings like the National Sword Conference? I thought of the formula that God gave for us getting the blessing. The formula for revival. When he said, if my people, you know it well. If my people, that's the choir. If my people, he said, which are called by my name. Suggests to me they're not ashamed to be identified with him. We should not be ashamed of our identity. Call us what you will. We'll do what God wills for us to do. Whether you call us nice names or not. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God said, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the formula. It's in the book. It's right there and it's, it was good then. It's good now. I mean, that's us. That's our theme. That's our thrust. That's our task. My people, the choir. And then I thought about the great appeal of Haggai. You remember in chapter one, question is, they've been back about 16 years from captivity and they kept saying, we'll build the Lord's house another day. We'll, we'll do it in the spring. We'll do it in the fall. Uh, maybe next year we'll do it. In the meantime, they were making money hand over fist apparently. They were building great houses for themselves. And the question is raised in the beginning of that chapter. When, when are we gonna do this? Is it gonna be today or some other day? And the people said, no, not, not now. Let's, let's put it off a little while. They're still not ready to build the Lord's house. Haggai said, you've got a nice house. And that's the choir. Got a nice house. You, you got what you need, but the Lord's house lies in ruins. And the appeal was, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And then he asks what amounts to the question is, how's it working for you? Doing your thing and leaving the Lord's things undone. He said, you're making money, but putting it in a bag with holes in it. How's it working out for you, leaving the Lord out? Consider your ways. He raised the question a second time. Question is, now what does a choir do? Well, they sing. What does a church do? What, what, what does a Christian do? What, what is it that we're supposed to do in all of this? What do you think Dr. John had in mind when he started having these conferences and trying to stir the saints of God in all of these years now for plus 80 years, we've had meetings like this. Uh, you know, some folks say, what, what are you doing? We have preaching and preaching and preaching. And we have some wonderful music and we have some practical things, uh, workshops and things that we'll do. We, ha we have all of that trying to, trying to plug the, these things in. What, what are we doing here? We're trying to get it on track. We want the fire to fall. We, we want the house to be built. We want to see the working and the stirring of God and God's people getting back to the place where there's rejoicing in their heart again. Some people have what they call a life verse. 
I've had three verses. I've, I've never really used that term. I don't object to it. There's not anything wrong with it. But I, I've never really wanted personally to call it a life verse. But I've had three verses that have highly motivated me in my life. The first one is one that you might have spotted. But it's 2 Chronicles 26, 5. There's a little portion of it that says, As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. The early days of my ministry, I captured that, and every time I signed my name for a lot of years, I signed 2 Chronicles 26, 5. But fairly early in my ministry, I got introduced to the sword of the Lord and Dr. John Rice, and uh, I discovered Psalm 126, 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And I got that etched upon my soul. And so for a good number of years, I signed my name and put Psalm 126.6. And I let that be the theme and the burden that drove me. I mean, I have looked at that verse and taken it apart and looked at it sideways. I mean, I mean it, has, it, has, it has saturated my soul and still does to this day. There's a third verse that has had that kind of impactful uh, meaning in my life. And it's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I didn't drop 2 Chronicles 26, 5 when I took on 126, 6 of the Psalms. And I didn't drop either one of them when I began to Take note of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. They all three have been mightily impactful in my life. You say, what, what are we after here? We're after the same thing that happened at the Watergate. We want the life-giving word of God that feeds us and nurtures us and stirs us and motivates us. I mean, we want the flood gates to open at the Watergate for us once again. See, we're not... When we talk about the Watergate, we're not talking about a break-in. We're talking about a breakthrough. We want God to break through. We want, we want, we want to get the crusty, apathetic coating around our heart. We want that to break down. We want to get to the place where we're not uncomfortable bending our knees in the altar. We want to come to the place where that when people walk into the baptistry, we can rejoice that somebody has found the Savior. We want to be so wrapped up in people getting at the altar and coming forward and professing faith and joining the church and whatever else that we'll rejoice instead of running out to try to get out of the parking lot. God help us to get hold of this so that the fire like Mount Carmel will fall in our heart, it'll fall in our church, and it'll fall upon us over and over again. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm hoping for a breakthrough. A breakthrough for your church and your family and a breakthrough for our country. I'm tickled as I can be that we got some new people in the nation's capital. But I'm going to tell you now, they're not going to solve what we need to do. They're not, they're not going to get it done. I'm glad they're there and they'll do some things that need to be done. But the solution for what America needs 
lies in your church house, in your pulpit. It lies in you and your people getting out and walking up and down the streets, talking to people about Jesus and reeling them in like fishermen are supposed to do. I'm telling you what, we ought to fill the boat up. Fill the boat up until it's overflowing. Listen, I hear the choir. I hear it assembling. The choir is coming into place. The intro is being played. The question is, what will the choir sing? Are we going to still be working with this King James Bible five years from now? Or are we going to let some scholarly dude talk us into doing something we shouldn't do? Are we going to keep going soul winning? Or are we going to um, just give it up and say, well, it doesn't work anymore? Of course it don't work for those that don't work it. The letter said, the letter said, I don't understand why you do this. You're, you're just preaching to the choir. And I said, sir, you're exactly right. I am preaching to the choir. Because that's where my workers are. That's where the faithful people are. And they need it. They need it just like the preacher needs it. We need to preach to the choir. Just preaching to the choir. Well, dear friends, we'll have to interrupt the message right there. It winds down at this point, but I trust that it's been a help to you these last two days to hear me preaching on preaching to the choir. Now, I do love to hear from you, and I trust that sometime this weekend, you'll sit down and write me a note. Here's the address. Dr. Shelton Smith at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com. Well, until Monday, God bless you. Have a good rest of this day and a great weekend. Goodbye for now. Thank you.